Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to Move Out, Draw Fire. This is the seventh episode of the saga. Now, this is going to be a tough one. There's a lot to go over. But before that, um, if you are listening to this on a platform like uh, Apple Podcast or Google Podcast or Spotify, Go ahead and uh, try to subscribe to that, write a review, leave some stars, whatever it may be. Like I said in the last episode, we're trying to reach out and get as many people as we can to kind of listen to this and understand uh, some of the stuff that we went through, some of the stuff that I went through. Uh, If I have a guest on here, you know, we're trying to make it all-inclusive so nobody feels like that they went over, did nothing, or they have nothing in their lives. So I said, you know, reach out and touch somebody. I meant that more of like metaphorically, figuratively, um, with the current climate that we're in right now with the COVID and stuff like that. Don't actually go out and touch people randomly. Uh, you'll most likely end up in jail or, you know, you get beat up, whatever. So, uh do your best, share this, uh, comment on it, do whatever, whatever we can do to reach out to more people to get the message heard of what I've been trying to say is, you know, you're not alone. There's always somebody out there who is going through the same thing or has gone through the same thing that you have and made it through so we can all help each other. So with that being said, We're going to move on to my final tour to Afghanistan back in 2012. Now, in 2010, I had switched from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, the 82nd Airborne, over to the 4th Infantry Division out of Fort Carson, Colorado. Um, The 4th Infantry Division was, to me, by far, one of the biggest dumpster fires I had ever seen Um, in that unit there was no there was no cohesion there was no camaraderie Uh, the the level of toxic leadership was at an astronomical level it was always out for number one If, if you did anything like in the 82nd where it's like hey man I screwed up hey we're gonna get through this together no, they, anybody there will, as fast as they can, throw you under a bus to try to make themselves look better. It was almost like a unit of tattletales. It's unfortunate to say, but it's the truth. And it, they never took into account people that needed help. They always wrote them off and never got the help that they needed. So with that being said, I get to I get put into a unit, um, and I'm not I'm not greeted openly since I am an outsider, uh, and that's that's kind of a normal thing for people to go through. Is you get to a new unit, you're treated as an, as an outsider because you're new to them. 
you come in new. Now, some the units that I was with before, you're a private all the way up to staff sergeant, and you stay in the same unit. So when another random staff sergeant comes in who hasn't come up through the ranks with that team, you're kind of, again, looked at as an outsider. So when you have things to say or actual uh, teaching points or teaching lessons, they don't really pay attention to them because I didn't come up with them. So after leaving Fort Bragg and getting to this unit, I, I, I fell into a deep depression. Um, I almost had what some would consider separation anxiety from the 82nd to 4th uh, ID. Just the overall vibe and attitude from Fort Carson was toxic in itself. But add on what you're supposed to be doing and how you're supposed to be doing it. I, I did not deal with it well. Um, I started gaining a bunch of weight. Uh, I lost all of my motivation to do really friggin' anything. Now, I, I see this as I'm to blame for letting them bring my attitude down. I did not handle it well. I should have handled it well, and I did not. Um, now... Technically, uh, tactically and technically speaking, I, I was still on par with some some of the smartest um, and brightest fire support NCOs that were out there. I, I earned my I earned my rank with the knowledge that I had, but physically speaking, I I dropped off. I I didn't want to do it anymore. It was such a depression and anxiety that I, I started eating too much. I didn't do enough uh, exercise. And this this hole that I dug myself into, it was rough to get out, to say the least. So that being said, I am switched to a new unit um, because the old unit I was in, they didn't recognize that I had any sort of psychological issues. They just saw it as weakness or, um, you know, dereliction of duty. And they wanted me out. But I was given an alternative. Go to a new unit, still within the same brigade. So I did that. And again, I did not get the greatest of welcomes. You know, I'm I'm the new staff sergeant from another unit who they kind of got rid of because I wasn't in physical shape. And in the army, doesn't matter how good you are, uh, proficiency-wise, as far as job knowledge or basic knowledge, if you're not physically fit, you are shunned, you are ostracized, um, you are essentially garbage to the unit. Again, regardless of what you know and how you know it, it's all about physical standards. And again, I let myself do it. it. I'm not I'm not putting the blame on, hey, they made me get fat. It was more of I made myself do it. And looking back on it, I can actually rationalize kind of the reason why I did it. It's unfortunate, but it happened. 
Um, I've always had kind of weight issues in the past, but I always got through it. But this time with them, I just, I didn't want to. And the company commander I worked for and the first sergeant that I worked for, they were just vile, toxic leaders from start to finish. So let's talk about the deployment. We deployed to Afghanistan around February, maybe April, no, March. February or March uh, 2012. Now, a month beforehand, I found out that my wife was pregnant with our first child. So I essentially missed out on 98% of the pregnancy. So we're being, we're told we're being deployed. My wife comes out, says, I'm pregnant. Whoop, something's happening. So we deploy. I try as best I can to keep in constant contact with her. Um, there are some days where the phones are, you know, shut down because of, let's say there's a, uh, a casualty within their brigade. So they'll shut down all communications for that reason. That way. And if you don't know, if there is a casualty overseas, um, all kind of personal communications are cut until the family of the fallen soldier is told about it so they're not told through Facebook or something they will actually send the military to the house um, to inform them or they'll call them I don't know how they do it I was never part of a team to do that to inform them of their family's casualty and by all rights that's exactly how it should happen you don't need to find out through Facebook like hey I heard your husband died and then find out two days later from the military hey your husband died so we had an incident in Iraq where somebody called, uh, somebody, it wasn't through Facebook, so it wasn't really big at the time, but they were told through the FRG, the Family Readiness Group, that their husband was killed. And then he called her two days later saying they, they just got back from the mission. And it was, you know, gut-wrenching and heartbreaking to hear the, the families, the FRG, and if you don't know who the FRG is, you are one of the lucky ones. They are the biggest group of Karens that you could ever imagine. Anyway, let's let's move on from there. Um, so, a few times, more than I'd say, more than a few times, um, there was a casualty within our battalion or brigade to where the phones were cut, and I wouldn't be able to talk to my wife. Um, I would say I got to talk to her once every two to three days depending on the uh, situation that we're in to talk about the pregnancy and how everything was going. Now I had left her back at Fort Carson uh, on Fort Carson. We lived on base and we had um, a couple, I would say a couple friends there to come uh, help where she needed it. Um, Being that uh, this was the first, uh, the first real baby that we were going to have. So, Overseas, um, I I was deployed as the battle NCO, the battle sergeant, I guess, for our company talk, uh, Tactical Operations Center. So I was always in in the midst of all the information coming in or going out from our um, base, which was Cop Penich. 
Penix? Penich. Cop Penich. So I always had a, f- a few RTOs with me, uh, the radio guys. Um, you know, they would give uh, a daily task to these people um, to from the platoons, like, hey, give me a guy for four hours, and they'd sit in there, answer the radios, take down notes, whatever whatever was needed. I had a bunch of my Afghan counterparts in the room with me, uh, a representative from the Afghan National Army, the National Police, the local police, um, some of the secret police people that they had. And they all had their own little tiny laptops, uh, like seven, eight-inch screen laptops that they could do their work on, but they never did any work. Anytime you look back there, they're always watching, and I kid you not, Anytime you look back there, they're watching John Cena wrestling. I don't know what the fascination was. I asked multiple times. They never gave me a straight answer. But whenever they were on their computers, it was never to do official work. It was always to watch John Cena wrestle. And I don't know why just John Cena, but John Cena wrestling. That was all you could get. So I'm sitting in the uh, in the in the in the talk and. As the battle NCO, anything that happens within our area of operations or the battalion's area of operations, I reported it straight to the company commander and the first sergeant and the XO. Now, the XO and I had a few verbal disputes um, about what I need to do or how I should do it, and I had enough experience that I knew exactly, and the verbal disputes between that was, it was on and off, but... Overall, we all worked good. Um, I did my job. I did it, I think, very proficiently. We had a 150-foot tower with a FLIR camera on it. We were in probably the quietest place in our AO as far as, like, further up northeast, I think it was. They were getting hit daily with uh, rockets and incoming uh, AK or small arms fire. So we had it, I'm not going to say relatively, it was way more peaceful in our area than it was the other areas. And was that, you know, beneficial to us, obviously. Would I have liked to have seen more, more contact? Probably as my job, not really. If I was a line FO again... Uh, back in, back when I was a sergeant, back, uh, you know, being you know, more physically fit, it would probably been a little bit more exciting. But I do, you know, I, I look at it like I have a kid on the way. I don't want to jeopardize any any way that I go home and see my child and my wife. So, being a battle NCO, I was elated with that kind of honor to be one of the main hubs of information. So. <clears throat> I stayed on I stayed on the cop. I think I only left the cop once. And that was for a we had an incoming mortar attack, but it landed so far away. I don't even think it was probably meant for us. So, I went out and did a crater analysis so we could take pictures and send it up to higher ups like, "Hey, look what we're doing." <laughs> and for them, it's all about how they see us doing it. Not anything that we do uh, personal-wise or it's all about seeing seeing us doing something. And again, they, it was kind of a micromanage um, at that point. 
how they wanted to do things. Kind of embarrassing to be in that unit. Not the company itself. I, I enjoyed uh, and respected working with the company commander and the first sergeant. They were, oddly enough, some of the, some of the best leadership I had as far as that, um, the, infant, uh, the infantry unit from that company commander and that first sergeant. But the rest of the unit was, again, look out for number one. Don't, it was gut-wrenching. So let's move on. Um, Every week we'd have a bazaar come in, and they would set up kind of right in the middle of the base. You know, obviously we do the searching, uh, make sure they're not bringing any bombs in or anything. But you could always get some, you know, good intel from the people if you build up a good rapport with them. And I always had a good rapport with uh, the locals there that would come in. Um, I would go out and have tea with some of them. Uh, I'd have somebody cover cover down for me while I went out and had some tea, or sometimes they even brought a watermelon. Uh, I'd buy some wares from them and you know have a little chat. And they would every now and then give us some sort of like, hey, what's going on in the area? What do we need to look out for? And if they had something to say, we'd direct them to the um, kind of the intelligence portion of of what we do there we'd bring out some intelligence guys they would get the information and if you know it might turn out to be good might turn out to be you know junk information whatever um uh, let's see so my job was basically tracking the battlefield and after the actual company fsnco he got moved to somewhere else i took over as the company fsnco the uh, fire sport non-commissioned officer because we had two e6 uh, staff sergeants in the company which was very rare but he was more of look out look at them they did they didn't ask me um or they didn't treat me anything like on the same mental level it was all i was a child and they had to look after me and it was some of the worst uh unit leadership i had ever seen just because uh, I was a little, I'm not going to say I was a little overweight. I was overweight. But, again, in their eyes, if you're overweight, you are you are nothing to them, regardless of what you know. So, after that, I started training. Oh, God, I can't even remember their names. All I remember is Adair. That's, anyway. We had a company FS, FSO, the fire support officer, uh, Lieutenant Fuller. He was a good guy. I never minded him. Um, the FSO that I was at my last unit, uh, well, the other battalion at Fort Carson, he was a West Pointer that I absolutely could not get along with whatsoever. Um, he, he couldn't put his differences aside like I could and just move on. And since it, he felt like since he was a West Pointer, he was already knowledgeable on everything, regardless that he'd only been in the military for exactly one year. So I had some, I had some in, uh, uh, troubles with him. So was it good for me that I moved units? Absolutely. Did it look good? 
uh, for my, you know, NCOERs, my evaluation reports? No, not even a little bit. But that's, that's for another time. So I worked 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day. Um, I got, you know, my three times to go get uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, eat real fast and come right back in because anytime I was away from the, uh, the talk was something could have happened. So I had to eat real fast. There was, you know, I made the rules of no food in the, in the talk, um, for the tobacco users, you know, pick your, pick your stuff up. Don't leave it laying around, you know, your spit bottles or your, um, your cigarette butts or whatever it was. Um, I kind of, uh, I, I say kind of, everything was already set up when I got there, but I kind of did the, uh, uh, base security as far as like the cameras that were set up around this, uh, set up around our base. Uh, we had a dedicated, uh, camera user for that 150 foot tower that we had with a camera on it. I mean, we could see a lot of stuff in the little valley that we had to protect and, Every now and then we would get attacked from there, but so very little. Now, I will say that on my way over to Afghanistan, I'm, you know, the unit was already deployed. I barely knew them because I was just getting there. And the one, two people I kind of made friendships with on my way there was Carpinella and Staff Sergeant Brown. Now, we were we traveled together uh, for probably about two weeks, I think it was, between leaving Fort Carson to fly to Virginia to pick up some more troops and flying to uh, Kyrgyzstan or um, wherever we went. And no, maybe it was Kuwait. I don't remember. But I, I kind of built up a friendship with these guys. We had you know lots of things in common. Um, is really the only people I had to talk to. And it wasn't long after uh, we got there, you know, uh, Sergeant Brown got his uh, squad and some of the other guys went back to their squads. And every now and then they would come up to the talk and I would, you know, have a chit chat with them. Um, because again, that was really the only people I knew. I had to, you know, make more friendships after that. But it wasn't long after that, I think it was earlier in April, um, that he, uh, Sergeant Brown went out on patrol, a night patrol, and he had, uh, climbed up to the top of this hill. It was in the middle of the valley, just a hill, and it had always put a white flag up there for, um, the Taliban, and we always call it the Taliban flag. Well, they went up there to go inspect the flag or the area where the flag was to see what was so significant about the area. And Sergeant Brown had taken a knee on top of an IED that exploded. So, like, really the the one and only person I knew first was right there. He, he, he was killed. People around him caught some shrapnel to the face. Um, and, you know... Um, there was Sergeant Selinsky that took some shrapnel to the face. And I know after that he had, I don't know, I don't want to say it's survivor's guilt, but he had a lot of, of issues with after that 
specific incident, just seeing all the horror that happened from that incident alone. Um, later on, it was a few years ago now that Zelensky uh, actually took his own life out of that kind of guilt and uh, mental trauma that he had just witnessed at that point in time. There's probably more on to it than that, but just being that you're that close to a friend of yours and just watch him and all the terrible things that happened to him at that one instant, you know, it's, it weighs on you. And he felt like he had no other way to deal with it. And not too many, not too many years ago now, he actually took his own life. And then I think it was a year or two later, Zelensky, uh, he had a twin brother. He took his own life. So it's, you know, this stuff is no joke. If you don't start reaching out to people and talking about it and getting the right channels of communication open to kind of, you know, deal with this or recover from it or find a way to live with it, it's going to eat at you to the point where, you know, people have, and it's not like, hey, it might happen. It's 22 veterans a day take their own lives. And it's never of, I wonder why they did it. We all know why they did it. Some of the horrors that people have seen that just they can't get over. And the only way to get it over is to stop thinking about it by taking your own life. It's, it's an epidemic that needs to be corralled and stopped. I don't see it happening anytime soon. I mean, the VA, they barely take care of us as it is. You know, they just throw a mountain of drugs at you and be like, here, you'll get over it. Well, that's not how it works. Yeah, there's people to talk to, but we kind of make our own, as veterans, make our own people to talk to that are not um, VA administrators that just, hey, here's some drugs, go get over it. No, you need to talk it through. And then you're talking to people that have sat behind a desk or have gone to school and never experienced what you have done or what you've experienced, and you want them to tell you it's okay? Well, it's not. It's not okay. So that's why a lot of veterans will go to other veterans, be like, hey, man, I'm having a tough time. Help me through this. You know what? I got you six. We got you. So that, again, that's a, that's a story for another time. But just to know that it's out there, that it bothers people to a degree where they would take their own lives, it's, it's despicable for you know what? I'm gonna move on. I don't want to. I don't want to bring it down too much with that. So, back on track. Um, we have some uh, Afghan National Army there. They have uh, their own guns, uh, the D20s. I think it was. They would fire off at the mountaintop. Uh, we got a couple um, kind of GPS guided rounds that we got to fire where we were at some new high-speed whiz-bang guns. And, I mean, it was all it was all good. We never had any real problems there. 
um, minus the uh, Sergeant Brown incident and um, another um, squad leader, uh, they hit an IED. I believe it was uh, Novacek. He hit an IED and was killed. And I know it was a tough time for a lot of people in the company because those were two well-respected uh, squad leaders that were uh, killed in action. And, you know, you could definitely see it on the faces of the other soldiers that they were going through tough times. So we did what we could um, to help people along. You know, me being the battle NCO, I can't do much. Um, I can't leave to talk and people can come in and talk to me, but I can't leave. So I have to kind of wait for them to come in. Now, at I would say mm, five months in, um, you know, I'm getting letters from the doctors back home and my wife saying that she is a high-risk pregnancy. So I should be, it is the recommendation that I leave early for the birth of my child. Now, we're at a state in the war, I quote-unquote war, that... They're not going to keep people behind uh, or keep people deployed while their, you know, their first child is being born or any child is being born like they would back in 2005 and 2007 where everybody was needed. And if you if you weren't going at your specific time, then you just weren't going because this was supposed to be a year long mission. And it was essentially. But I left um, Afghanistan uh, on August 20th, 2012. And I was given a lot of flack for leaving um, in August. And I told them, like, hey, I have to go back. There's no, I'm going back. I have to. And after I got back, you know, you get 10 days of, uh, I, w- I was told I was going to get 10 days of leave. That's enough to come back. Uh, meet the child, get home, and then travel back overseas. Now, you know what? I'm okay with that. I accepted it. It's going to happen. So I get back on August 21st. The baby is born August 22nd. Like, I got back the day before she was born. Uh, We went in. Like, we're inducing. It's, you know, we're at uh, eight months or uh, seven and a half months. Um, so they're inducing. I'm like, all right, we're doing this now. So I was, you know, I was fortunate enough to be there. Uh, had I been a day or two later, you know, I probably would have missed the whole thing. But I made it back in time. And after five days or so of being home, I got an email saying, hey, you're not coming back. You're going to report to the rear detachment. You're going to move in with them. And we're having somebody replace you so you don't have to worry about coming back. Well, okay. I'd already mentally prepared myself to come back, and now they're telling me not to. So now I'm with the rear detachment back at Fort Carson, and the only people they have back there are a sergeant first class acting as the sergeant major and everybody who they're chaptering out of the army or could not deploy for some physical reason. So... I'm there with a bunch of broke people and uh, a lot of people that should have been probably in jail for drugs, um, drug use, drug selling, drug making, um, assault and batteries, uh, a couple of DUIs, 
Um, one guy, he missed his girlfriend heroin so much that he shot himself in the sh- in the shoulder within a week or two of being in country. So they sent him back. You know, we had to carry these people back and forth to uh, mental health appointments, to chapter appointments, to kick them out of the army. So after the six months that I spent overseas, you know, I'm thankful to the people that were there to help me out and um, kind of get me through some situations. After my daughter was born, um, it was kind of like the eye-opening experience that I needed. It got me out of my depression to, you know, better myself. So I started working out again a lot more. I started eating right, losing weight. Because I, di- I didn't want them to come come back and see me even bigger than I was. So I was like, all right, I got this. So I, I dropped about 40, 50 pounds. Um, I started passing everything. I'm Well, I never really had a problem with that, but starting doing better on my PT tests. So when they come back, it's like, hey, we see that you bettered yourself. Good job. You know, what have you. But overall, from the time I left to the time... Uh, that everybody came back. I mean, everything had changed. My whole uh, view on where I was had changed. I, I immediately, like, I need, I'm going to re-enlist and I'm going to get back to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. I cannot stand the fourth ID any longer. And some of the some of the stuff that they did over there was, in fact, one of the biggest things that happened over there was they started breaking procedures. So one of the procedures was, and this was a big, big, big incident. One of the procedures is to never set a pattern. If you set a pattern, the enemy will see that pattern and start attacking along that pattern. So the brigade commander, brigade sergeant major, the brigade, I mean, just all the bigwigs in the brigade set a pattern of a weekly, a weekly, bi-weekly, whatever it was, pattern to go out the same route, the same destination, the same people would go out and have a meeting with the local nationals. And it wasn't until uh, beginning of August, I think it was, maybe end of uh, July, that while out doing one of their every week patrols to go meet with the people that their pattern had been picked up on and a suicide bomber came in and detonated and I think three people from that incident alone were killed one of them being the brigade sergeant major which had not happened in years that somebody that high up um, was was a casualty it was the brigade sergeant major that I think it was the brigade fires. I think it was a, a major and one other, but it was like a, a suicide bomber came in, I think on a scooter went right through and the barricade or went right through the middle of the formation because at the time we had, you know, general McChrystal was in charge of Afghanistan and, um, it was, you know, you cannot impede in these people in any way, shape, or form. doesn't matter what they're doing. And lo and behold, one of them snuck a bomb in and blew up. 
and killed the brigade sergeant major. And it was a huge incident for everybody because Sergeant Major Griffin, he was quite an influential character in the entire brigade. He's there for everybody and now he's not. So I know I had a few uh, dealings with him whenever he would come to our talk and I, you know, I would talk, I, I had regular conversations with him when he would come in and it was, it was just heartbreaking to hear that, you know, the pattern and uh, the people not listening, hopefully one day they do, they can kind of get past their own ego. And you know what? We probably were pretty garbage people and you were, and I hope one day that you find out. I would hate to think that you go through the rest of your life thinking that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread and come to find out that you are the reason why people um, hated being in the military because of your toxic leadership. And it's, you know, it's not just Fort Carson. It's all over. It was at Fort Bragg. It wasn't nearly as much at Fort Bragg from when I was there, but it was there. There was a couple leaders that I couldn't stand being around, a couple NCOs, but overall um having the uh cohesion and um all that other stuff that we that we had to work with it kind of made up for it so i come back i'm part of the rear detachment chaptering people out you know going about my daily routine and then everybody comes back from deployment and then i'm once again moved to another company where people have a problem with me again because i came back early and I didn't come back uh, on deployment, so right there they're like, "Oh, he must have got, he must have went through loopholes somehow, so he didn't have to come back." I don't know what the problem was with their attitude towards me. You know, I was already trying to better myself. I was trying to get on a straighter path to do better things, and it's not one ounce of of leniency with those people. So, so with that being said. I've had four deployments, one to Iraq, three to Afghanistan, probably, I think, three and a half years total of deployed time overseas. And in the last seven episodes, I've tried to, as best, sum up the four deployments, plus my uh, basic training and uh, all the other training I went through for these deployments. Now, what I did leave out, was I don't want to drag these on so much that they become two-hour episodes because there's no way I could put in 15-month or year-long tours into what I wanted to try to keep was 30 to 40 minutes. I'm looking at my timer right now. I'm already at 40 minutes. So in the next few episodes, I'll go over some of the stuff that wasn't really, you know, related to any stories but were some fun times or bad times in the uh, deployments or uh, stuff like that in future episodes, what we did in garrison, meaning back in the United States during training, you know, some of the things that helped uh, shape me or my ways of thinking around uh, certain events that had taken place. So this will wrap up, I think for now, the saga of my deployments and training. You know, I, I've started from, 
Again, I started from high school, being a, a sophomore or junior in high school, through basic training, through airborne school, through uh, the uh, Ranger indoctrination program, through my first unit, getting to uh, an artillery unit, deploying to Iraq with the infantry, deploying to Afghanistan with the infantry, moving over to the engineers, deploying with the engineers on my third tour, deploying with the infantry again of a completely different unit, my fourth tour, and just being done with it all. Uh, I, I know I can pretty much sum up where I decided, you know, I wanted to stay in, but something happened and that kind of drove it to the point where I can't do it anymore. I need to, I need to do something else. And that'll be probably in my prologue. I'll call it my prologue episode of what happened after the final deployment. Everybody got back. So I hope you enjoyed the saga. Um, it was a treat for me to kind of reminisce and bring back old memories for other people about what happened overseas um, I will tell you this, that even though Jesse and I did go to Fort Carson together, we did not end up in the same brigade. We were in two different brigades, so we never deployed together again. Um, he had his own issues at that brigade. I had my issues, but we come to the same thing of the underlying two-word sum-up of, of Fort Carson. Toxic leadership across the board. So... I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, if you didn't, reach out to me, um, and we'll, you know, we can have a discussion about why I think the way I think and how you think it was different. But you know what? This is my show, so make your own show. You deal with it. It's pretty fun, though, being able to reach out and, you know, talk to people that you haven't seen in a long time, uh, you know, have... I. I've checked the analytics of the listeners that I can, and not all of them are from, uh, one, America. Uh, I've seen some from uh, Germany. I don't know how I reached out to somebody out there, but, hey, it's getting out there. And I I do appreciate everybody that has uh, listened to this, you know, brought it up in a conversation or two. Um, I do my best to kind of tag people on Facebook um, so they can listen like, hey, you know, they're talking, he's talking about me and I, hey, I remember that. I remember this situation. So it's all in good, um, good efforts to try to, you know, talk to people again, tell uh, the people that were there, you're not alone. You know, we went through the same stuff, you know, and that's, that's what I'm here for. So, again, I appreciate everybody, and do the best you can to be a better person, I would say. And I, I cannot stress this enough. You're not alone. Reach out to somebody. Talk to somebody. Talk to me. Talk to anybody. And with that, I bid you adieu. I hope you have a good rest of your day. So move out, draw fire. Thank you.